The White Ship by H.P. Lovecraft. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tyler Doherty. The White Ship by H.P. Lovecraft. I am Basil Elton, keeper of the North Point Light, that my father and grandfather kept before me. Far from the shore stands the gray lighthouse, above sunken slimy rocks that are seen when the tide is low, but unseen when the tide is high. Past that beacon for a century have swept the majestic barks of the seven seas. In the days of my grandfather there were many, in the days of my father not so many. And now there are so few that I sometimes feel strangely alone, as though I were the last man on our planet. Far from shores came those white-sailed Argozies of old, from far eastern shores where warm sunshine and sweet odors linger about strange gardens and gay temples. The old captains of the sea came often to my grandfather and told him of these things, which in turn he told to my father, and my father told to me, in the long autumn evenings when the wind howled eerily from the east. And I have read more of these things, and many things besides, in the books men gave me, when I was young and filled with wonder. But more wonderful than the lore of old men and the lore of books is the secret lore of the ocean. Blue, green, gray, white, or black, smooth, ruffled, or mountainous, that ocean is not silent. All my days have I watched it and listened to it and known it well. At first it told me only the plain little tales of calm beaches in the near ports, but with the years it grew more friendly and spoke of other things, of things more strange and distant in space and time. Sometimes at twilight the gray vapor of the horizon have parted to grant me a glimpse of the way beyond. And sometimes at night the deep waters of the sea have grown clear and phosphorescent to grant me a glimpse of the way beneath. And these glimpses have been as often of the ways that were in the ways that might be, as of the ways that are. For the ocean is more ancient than the mountains, and frightened with the memories and dreams of time. Out of the south there was the way of the white ship, used to come when the moon was full and high in the heavens. Out of the south it would glide very smoothly and silently over the sea. And whether the sea was rough or calm, and whether the wind was friendly or diverse, it would always glide smoothly and silently, its sails distant and its long strained tiers of oars moving rhythmically. One night I spied upon the deck a man, bearded and robed, and he seemed to beckon me to embark for fair unknown shores. Many times afterward I saw him under the full moon, and ever did he beckon me. Very brightly did the moon shine on the night I answered the call and I walked out over the waters to the white ship on a bridge of moonbeams. The man who had beckoned me now spoke a welcome to me in a soft language I seemed to know well, and the hours were filled with soft songs of oarsmen as we glided away into the mysterious south, golden with the glow of that full, mellow moon. And when the day dawned, rosy and effulgent, I beheld the green shore of far lands, bright and beautiful, and to me unknown. 
Up from the sea rose lordly terraces of verdure, tree-studded and shewing here and there the gleaming white roofs and colonnades of strange temples. As we drew nearer the green shore, a bearded man told me of the land, the land of Tsar, where dwell all the dreams and thoughts of beauty that come to men once they are forgotten. And when I looked upon the terraces again, I saw that what he said was true, for among the sight before me are many things I had once seen through the mist beyond the horizon and the phosphorescent depths of the ocean. There, too, were forms and fantasy more splendid than I had ever known. The visions of young poets who died and want before the world could learn of what they had seen and dreamed. But we did not set foot upon the sloping meadows of Tsar, for it was told that he who treads may never more return to his native shore. As the white ship sailed silently away from the temple terraces of Tsar, we beheld on the distant horizon, ahead of the spires of a mighty city, and the bearded man said to me, This is Thalorion, the city of a thousand wonders, wherein resides all those mysteries that man has striven in vain to fathom. And I looked again, at closer range, and saw that the city was greater than any city I had known or dreamed of before. Into the sky the spires of the temple reached, so that no man might behold their peaks, and far back beyond the horizon stretched into the grim, grey walls, over which one might spy only a few roofs, weird and ominous, yet adorned with rich frenzies and alluring sculptures. I yearned mightily to enter this fascinating yet repellent city, and besought the bearded man to land me at the stone pier by the huge cavern gate at Carir. But he gently denied my wish, saying, into Thororion, the city of thousand wonders, many have passed, but none return. Therian walk only daemon and mad things that are no longer men. And the streets are white with the unburied bones of those who looked upon the Ardonan Lathi that resides over the city. So the white ships sailed on past the walls of Thalarion, and followed for many days a southward flying bird whose glossy plumage matched the sky out of which it had appeared. Then came we to a pleasant coast gay with blossoms of every hue, or as far inland as we could see, vast lovely groves of radiant arbors beneath the meridian sun. From bowers beyond our view came bursts of song and snatches of lyric harmony, interspersed with faint laughter so delicious that I urged the rower onward in my eagerness to reach the scene, and the bearded man spoke no word, but watched me as I approached the lily-lined shore. Suddenly, the wind blowing from over the flowery meadows and leafy woods, but I scent of which I trembled. The wind grew stronger, and the air was filled with the lethal, charnel odor of plague-stricken toes and uncovered cemeteries. And as we sailed madly away from the damnable coast, the bearded man spoke at last, saying, This is Zura, the land of pleasure unattained. So once more the white ship followed the birds of heaven over warmed blessed seas fanned by caressing aromatic breezes day after day and night after night did we sail and when the moon was full we would listen to soft songs of oarsmen sweet as on the distant night when we sailed away far from native land and it was by moonlight that we anchored at last in the harbour of sana nile which is guarded by twin headlands of crystals that rise from the sea and meet a represented arc this is the land of fancy, 
and we walked to the verdant shore upon the golden bridge of moonbeams. In the land of Sonan Isle, there is neither time nor space, neither suffering nor death. And there I dwelt for many eons. Green are the groves and pastures, bright in fragments the flowers, blue and musical the streams, clear and cool the fountains, and stately and gorgeous the temples, castles, and cities of Sonan Isle. Of that land there is no bound, for beyond each vista of beauty rises another whom are all gifted in unmarried grace and unalloyed happiness. For the eons I dwelt there, I wandered blissfully through the gardens where quaint pagodas peep from pleasing clumps of bushes, and where the white walks are bordered with delicate blossoms, I climbed gentle hills whose summits I could see interesting panoramas of loveliness, with steeple towns nestling in verdant valleys, and with the golden domes of gigantic cities glittering on the infinity distant horizon, and I viewed by moonlight the sparkling sea the crystal headlands, and the placid harbor wherein lay anchored the white ship. It was against the full moon one night, the immemorial year of Tharp, that I saw outlined the beckoning form of the celestial bird, and felt the first strings of unrest. Then I spoke with the bearded man, and told him of my new yearnings to depart for remote Cathuria, which no man hath seen, but which all believe to lie beyond the basalt pillars of the west. It is in the land of hope, and the shine the perfect ideals of all that we know elsewhere, or at least so men relate. But the bearded man said to me, Beware of those perilous seas wherein men say Cathira lies. In Sonan Isle there is no pain nor death, but who can tell what lies beyond the basalt pillars of the west? Nevertheless, at the next full moon I boarded the white ship, where the reluctant bearded man left the happy harbor for untraveled seas. And the birds of heaven flew before, and led us towards the basalt pillars of the west. But this time the oarsmen sang no soft songs under the full moon. In my mind I would often picture the unknown land of Cathira, with its splendid grooves and palaces, and would wonder what new delights there awaited for me. Cathira, I would say to myself, is the abode of the gods and land of the unnumbered cities of gold, its forests of aloe and sandalwood, even as the fragrant grooves of Camorin, and among the trees flutter gay birds sweet with song. On the green and flowery mountains of Cathiria stand temples of pink marble, rich with caverns and painted glories, and having in their courtyards cool fountains of silver, where the pearl with ravaging music, the scented waters that come from the grotto-born river Narg and the cities of Cathiria are cinctured with golden walls, and their pavement also are of gold. In the gardens of these cities are strange orchids and perfumed lakes whose beds are of coral and amber. At night the streets in the gardens are lit with the gay lanthorns fashioned from the three-colored shells of the tortoise, and here resound the soft notes of the singer and the lutist. The houses of the cities of Cathira are all palaces, each built over a fragrant canal bearing the waters of the sacred narg. Of marble and porphyry are the houses, and roof with glittering gold that reflects the rays of the sun, and enhances the splendor of the cities as blissful gods view them from the distant peaks. Fairest of all is the palace of the great monarch Dorib, whom some say to be the demigod, and others a god. High is the palace of Dorib, 
and many are the turrets of marble upon its wall. In its wide halls many multitudes assemble, and the roof is of pure gold, set upon tall pillars of ruby and azure, and having such cavern figures of gods and heroes, let whom look up in those heights to gaze upon living Olympus, and the floors of the palace is glass, under which flow the colonnade light waters of the Narg, gay with the gaudy fish not known beyond the bounds of Cytheria. Thus I would speak to myself of Cytheria, but ever would the bearded man warn me to turn back to the happy shores of Sonanile. Sonanile is known of men, while none hath ever beheld Cytheria. And on the thirty-first day that we followed the bird, we beheld the basalt pillars of the west, shrouded in the mist they were, so that no man might peer beyond them to see their summits, which indeed some say reach into the heavens. And the bearded man again implored me to turn back, but I heeded him not. For from the mist beyond the basalt pillars, I fancied there came the notes of the singer and the lutist, sweeter than the sweetest songs of Sonanile, and sounding my own praises, the praises of me, who had voyaged far under the moon and dwelt in the land of fancy. So the sound of the melody, the white ship sailed into the mist, betwixt the basalt pillars of the west. When the music ceased, the mist lifted, we beheld not the land of Cytheria, but a swift rushing relentless sea over which our helpless bark was borne towards some unknown goal. Soon to our ears came the distant thunder of falling waters, and to our eyes appeared on the far horizon ahead the titanic spray of monstrous cataract, wherein the ocean of the world dropped down to abysmal nothingness. Then did the bearded man say to me, with tears on his cheek, We have rejected the beautiful land of Sona Nile which we may never behold again. The gods are greater than men, and they have conquered. And I closed my eyes before the crash that I knew would come, shuddering out the sight of the celestial bird which flapped its mocking blue wings over the brink of the torrent. Out of the crash came darkness, and I heard the shrieking of men, and of things that were not men. From the east, tempestuous winds arose, and chilled me as I crouched on the slab of the damp stone which had risen beneath my feet. Then, as I heard another crash, I opened my eyes and beheld myself upon the platform of the lighthouse from whence I had sailed so many eons ago. In the darkness, below there loomed the vast blurred outline of the vessel breaking upon the cruel rocks. And as I glanced out over the waste, I saw that the light had failed for the first time since my grandfather had assumed its care. In the later washes of night, when I went within the tower, I saw on the wall a calendar, which still remained as when I had left at the hour I sailed away. With the dawn I descended the tower, and looked for wreckage upon the rocks, a strange dead bird, whose hue was as of the azure sky, and a single shattered spar, of a whiteness greater than that of the wave-tips or the mountain snow. And thereafter the ocean told me its secrets no more. And though many times since, as the moon shone full and high in the heavens, the white ship from the south came never again. End of The White Ship by H. P. Lovecraft
Recording by Tyler Doherty.